Hello, my name is Tony Litt. I'm the MD of Sunrise Radio, and it's my immense pleasure to bring you the official Sunrise Radio podcast. We are the number one commercial Asian station in the United Kingdom, with many firsts to our name, and we continue to be the voice of British Asians who have given us their love and loyalty over 30 years. It's a legacy we cherish and a responsibility that we don't take lightly. Our aim has always been to entertain the listeners with the best of Bollywood and Bangra while also addressing their concerns. A real voice for the community, a vibrant community and a great nation. We are proud to be British and Asian. This podcast is a compilation of some of the things we do on the station with a stellar lineup of presenters who each have their own personality and style. It's entertaining, informative, engaging, and we hope you will enjoy it here as a podcast if you are unable to tune in to the radio. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your family and friends about this podcast. And do leave us a comment on what you think. We'd love to hear from you. All the best always. Team Sunrise. Good morning. You're listening to Anila Dami on Sunday and you're joining me today for our special two-hour programme on the life and legacy of His Royal Highness Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, who passed away on Friday at the age of 99, with Buckingham Palace releasing a statement saying he died peacefully at Windsor Castle. A nation has lost a prince. Grandchildren have lost their grandfather and Her Majesty the Queen has lost her beloved husband of 73 years. Since the announcement of Prince Philip's death, people from across the UK and around the world have joined the royal family in mourning. The Duke of Edinburgh's oldest son, Prince Charles, yesterday reflected on his father's devotion to family and country. We're so deeply touched by the number of other people here and elsewhere around the world in the Commonwealth who also, I think, share our loss and our sorrow. And uh, my, my dear papa was, uh, was a very special person who, I think, above all else, would have been amazed by the reaction. And in that, he shared his gratitude for the tributes and leaders from across the political spectrum have been paying their respects. And on Friday, Boris Johnson led the tributes from the steps of Downing Street, where the flag has been lowered at half-mast. Prince Philip earned the affection of generations here in the United Kingdom, across the Commonwealth and around the world. Prince Philip worked till the age of 93. Absolutely extraordinary. In total, His Royal Highness supported more than 800 charities and causes and leaders from around the world and the Commonwealth have been paying their respects. And I'll read some of those messages to you. The uh, Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer paid tribute. Actually, we can listen to it right now. The UK has lost an extraordinary public servant in Prince Philip. He dedicated his life to our country and above all I think he'll be remembered for his support and devotion to the Queen. 
I can read you the US President Joe Biden said Prince Philip's legacy will live on not only through his family but in all charitable endeavours he shaped. Jill and I are keeping the Queen and Prince Philip's children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren and the people of the United Kingdom in our hearts during this time. The Prime Minister of India, Narendra Modi, shared, My thoughts are with the British people and the royal family on the passing away of HRH, the Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh. He had a distinguished career in the military and was at the forefront of many community service initiatives. I mean, an absolutely extraordinary life of service and devotion. Prince Philip saw himself as the moderniser of the British monarchy, orchestrating the first royal walkabout and before retiring from public duties in 2017, Prince Philip would often joke about his lifelong career of engagements, keeping people laughing even towards the end. And I've heard stories from others saying about how when they met him, he'd always be cracking jokes and making them laugh too. We'll be hearing some stories from people who knew and worked with him throughout the programme today. He was born a Prince of Greece in 1921 and met Princess Elizabeth when he was a Royal Naval Cadet in Dartmouth. She was just 13 years old and apparently made a deep impression on the princess then. Well, it was clearly a lasting impression that led them to marry soon after World War II, a marriage lasting 73 years. Absolutely astonishing. And with Prince Philip showing over seven decades of unwavering support towards his wife, the crown and the country, Her Majesty the Queen publicly thanked him in 1997. He is someone who doesn't take easily to compliments. But he has quite simply been my strength and stay all these years. And I and his whole family, and this and many other countries, owe him a debt greater than he would ever claim, or we shall ever know. Really moving, and it's obviously now with sadness that the Queen is now widowed and without her beloved husband after such a long time. And some of those pictures I've seen online of them together, of them laughing, laughing when they were young, laughing together later in life. The Queen almost at times looking like she's giggling in some of the pictures. It's so beautiful to see. It reminded me of sometimes, you know, my granddad will say the smallest thing and my gran will be sitting there giggling. And now, you know, so sad that the Queen has... She's lost her sister, who she was close to. She's lost her mother and now her husband. And the Queen's daughter-in-law, the Countess of Wessex, said the Queen has been amazing. Yesterday, gun salutes were fired across the UK, Gibraltar and at sea to mark the death of Prince Philip. 41 gunshots were fired every minute. The guns, interestingly, that were used at the Woolwich Barracks were also fired at the Queen and Prince Philip's wedding in 1947 and at Her Majesty's coronation in 1953. It signified his strong and deep ties with the military, having fought for Britain during the Second World War, serving with distinction in the Royal Navy. Crowds have been gathering outside Windsor Castle and Buckingham Palace, people laying flowers to pay tribute to Prince Philip. Though I have to say officials are asking people not to form groups as it breaches the official stay-at-home advice. It has been confirmed that Prince Philip's funeral will take place on Saturday the 17th of April. That's next Saturday at 3pm where there will be a national minutes silence as well.
as his coffin enters St George's Chapel in Windsor. It will be a family gathering of 30, compliant with COVID rules, and it has been confirmed that Prince Harry will be attending and walking behind the coffin with his brother, Prince William. He was just two months away from his 100th birthday. I have a range of guests joining me on the show today to give insights into his life and legacy, to share memories and reflections. Now joined by Royal Commentator and former Press Secretary to Queen Elizabeth II, Dickie Arbiter. Good morning, Dickie. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. You worked in close proximity to the royal family. You knew Prince Philip. What was he like? What was his character and personality like? Well, I don't suppose he was really, uh, if I'm honest, an easy man to get to know. He was a no-nonsense man. He didn't do small talk. He uh, didn't do flannery. He didn't like flattery. He wanted straight talking. And if if he asked you a question, you either knew the answer or you didn't. If you try and bluff your way around it, um, he saw through it right away and, and moved on. And if you wanted something from him, you had to make sure that you had all your answers off pat uh, because he could come back with anything and, and really sort of flummox you. So on the one hand, he was a very intelligent man. He was a kind man. He was a good man. But he also liked straight talking. Mm. Uh, I think that all adds to his kind of wit and charm, doesn't it? And especially, you know, thinking of that generation, people have been sharing their stories and saying, actually, it's just reminiscent of that generation of just very straight talking, get to the point. Um, Sophie Wessex said the Queen is being amazing, but it must be an absolutely devastating time for her. I mean, first, you know, she was so close to her sister, then she lost her mother. And now, you know, the man that's been standing beside her for seven decades... It was a devastating blow, but I don't think, as far as the Queen was concerned, she's a very pragmatic woman, and uh, it didn't come uh, as a surprise. He has been ailing for uh, a few years. He was in hospital, as we remember, before Christmas, and he came out looking very frail. Mm. Uh, this time he was in hospital in the end of February, March, for a month. Uh, he underwent a heart procedure. We don't know what it was. He did have a stent put in in 2011. So we don't know whether it was related to that. But again, when he came out, we saw him sitting in the back of the Range Rover looking very frail. So yes, it will be devastating. They were married for 73 years. We've got to remember that this this is a love story that goes back 82 years when the Queen first met Prince Philip in uh, 1939. Yes. She went with her sister, Margaret, and her parents. Her father was taking the salute at the Royal Naval Academy, Dartmouth. And uh, Prince Philip, a cadet there, was charged by Lord Mountbatten to look after the princesses. And the Queen, as Princess Elizabeth, fell in love with him immediately Mm. and uh, said, well, this is the man I'm going to marry. So it's a love story that goes back pre-war. And that's something we shouldn't forget. That she's lost her right hand man, that she's lost her rock, that she's lost her strength and her stay. Words that she used at her golden wedding anniversary during a speech at the Guildhall in uh, 1997 is a devastating blow to her. But she won't do a Queen Victoria. Remember when uh, Prince Albert died in the mm. 1860s? Uh, she went into Perla. Yes. And uh, we didn't, nobody saw her for a couple of decades. This won't happen to the Queen. She's a people person. She's steeped in duty. And once court mourning is over, we will see her social distancing permitting. We will see her out and about doing, doing engagements again. And, and touching on that, pragmatism of the queen and looking at the monarchy and its 
constant changing and shifting with kind of not only the modernization but changing events for example with princess diana the sussexes i mean what does happen next is there a protocol in place where we might see other members of the royal family stepping up um, the queen will carry on you talk about modernizing well the mon- monarchy's been modernizing for a thousand years and people say well it should change well it has been changing but the changes are so seamless we don't actually notice them that when something happens we think it happened all the time but it hasn't it's something fairly new. So the changes are, are very seamless. Yes, younger members of the family will probably do a bit more than they are doing. The uh, Prince Philip bowed out, as we know, in 2017. So a number of his former charities and, and military uh, positions have been taken over. Mm. Uh, Prince of Wales is already doing more for the Queen. He's attending and opening the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting, wherever it happens to be, for its uh, biannual meeting. The Prince of Wales is also doing investitures. Now, when they start again, he, Prince William, uh, who have been doing investitures on behalf of the Queen, the Queen does one or two a year just to keep her hand in, but the Princess Royal has also been doing investitures. So there are enough members of the royal family to go around to pick up some of the things that the Queen might push onto them, push onto them in the nicest possible way. Uh, but the royal family is it's very robust, uh, and, it, and it adapts. As one of the queen, things the Queen told me many years ago, she doesn't change. She adapts to meet the needs. She adapts to meet the needs of the day. And the royal family do just that. Mm. Looking ahead, the funeral date has been set for the next Saturday. What details do we have about the funeral? Well, we don't have many details. We know that um, under uh, sort of government rules, uh, COVID rules, that only 30 guests are allowed. Mm. Those 30 guests will be made up of uh, members of the royal family. There'll be no outsiders there. Uh, mm. And when I say uh, members of the royal family, those are uh, include spouses that are married to uh, direct members of the royal family. For example, uh, Mike Tyndall, married to um, Zara Tyndall, mm. Princess Anne's daughter. There'll be uh, Jack Brookfag. Um, married to uh, Princess Beatrice, and there'll be uh, um, Eugenie's husband, no, Eugenie's husband, Jack Brookbanks, and um, Beatrice's uh, husband um, will, will be there as well. So mm. it, it'll be a bit of a mixed bag, but it will be members of the royal family only, and those are sitting in, in tune with the government's guidelines of only 30 members um, of any family can go to, or any congregation can go to a funeral. Yes, and the Prime Minister Boris Johnson has already said that he won't be attending so that um, he can allow more members of the family to attend and it is a private affair. We'll be seeing Prince Harry attending as well and he'll have to quarantine, won't he, uh, for the, yeah, at least well, five days, but he won't be there with Meghan. Well, interesting, first of all, you say about the Prime Minister, he was jumping the gun a bit because there was never an invitation sent out. In fact, the invitations haven't gone out. So... Um, saying he'll be giving up, giving up his seat. He's jumping the gun a bit. Um, yeah, Harry is on his way over or is already here and he will have to quarantine for a few days and take the, the, uh, the required tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meghan is not coming. It's um, suggested under doctor's orders that um, she shouldn't be flying, but uh, it's never stopped um, pregnant women flying before, even at, even at this stage uh, of the pregnancy. So no, uh, Prince Harry would be there without his wife. Uh, Boris Johnson has kindly given up the seat he never had in the first place. And, um, yes, it will be members of of the family. Unfortunately, the public will not be able to see anything. 
because, again, of COVID restrictions. This is unfortunate, but as wisely Buckingham Palace say, um, people should stay home and watch it on television and not congregate around Windsor because, again, it's sort of breaking the guidelines of social distancing. There will be cameras inside, won't there, for people to be able to watch on television? There there will be uh, television cameras inside and people will be able to watch everything on television and that's the best place to be. Be at home, watch it on television and as Buckingham Palace have said on their website, uh, don't lay flowers. Uh, Better to make a donation either to your favourite charity or a charity associated with Prince Philip. Dickie, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you. Tributes have been paid around the world. Uh, Here's a message from the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern. She said, Prince Philip will be fondly remembered for the encouragement he gave to so many young New Zealanders through the Duke of Edinburgh's Hillary Award. We will also remember the Duke of Edinburgh's enormous support for Her Majesty the Queen. And of course, that was a childhood romance, a real love story as Dickie Arbiter, royal commentator who I was just speaking to, described it. Some more uh, statements to read to you. First Minister of Scotland Nicola Sturgeon said... I am saddened by news that the Duke of Edinburgh has died. I send my personal and deepest condolences and those of the Scottish Government and the people of Scotland to Her Majesty the Queen and her family. And the First Minister of Wales, Mark Drakeford, said that... It is with sadness that we mourn the death of His Royal Highness the Duke of Edinburgh. Throughout his long and distinguished life, he served the Crown with selfless devotion and generosity of spirit. We offer our sincere condolences to Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II, his children and their families on this sad occasion. He will be missed by the many organisations that he supported as patron or president over many decades of service. Some messages, some tributes there that have been paid. We know that the funeral is taking place on Saturday. It's taking place at St George's Chapel in Windsor at 3pm and that's when there will be a national minute silence that's when the coffin will actually be carried into the chapel and so that will mark the minute silence at 3 p.m and uh, the royal family have said that the official period of mourning for the family itself will be two weeks from the day of passing while national mourning will take place for eight days uh, until the funeral has taken place so Um, until the end of Saturday. We know that Prince Harry will be attending. He uh, has been in California, so he will have to apply the quarantine rules and he'll have to stay in quarantine for at least five days, in which time he'll have to take tests and providing he tests negative for COVID after five days, he'll be able to join his family at the funeral on Saturday, where he is expected to walk behind the coffin with his brother Prince William and uh, it's been said that Meghan won't be attending because she's pregnant and uh, from what we know the the official advice and guidance is that um, she didn't get the clearance from her doctor. Of course if you have any messages and reflections and thoughts then call or message in. We will be speaking to people throughout the programme to learn more about the life and legacy of Prince Philip and we'll be speaking a lot about the Duke of Edinburgh Award. That's really regarded as one of his biggest legacies. Over six million people worldwide have taken part in the Duke of Edinburgh Award. It's for young people and has touched so many lives. 
and just taking you through some of the papers on the front pages of the Sunday Telegraph, the Daily Mail and the Sun here. Uh, the Sunday Telegraph's going with, my dear papa was a very special person. I miss him enormously. And this is about the Prince of Wales paying tribute last night to his father, the Duke of Edinburgh, saying he's a very special person. It was an unscripted televised address where the emotional Prince Charles 72 said as you can imagine my family and I miss my father enormously he was a much loved and appreciated figure and actually we've got a clip of Prince Charles speaking which we can listen to now we're so deeply touched by the number of other people here and elsewhere around the world in the Commonwealth who also I think share our loss and our sorrow and uh, my my dear papa was uh, was a very special person who i think above all else would have been amazed by the reaction and uh, yesterday a gun salute of 41 shots rang out from land and sea home and abroad in honor of the duke I'm reading from the daily mail here including the same gun in woolwich barracks southeast london that marked his wedding to the queen in 1947 church bells rang out 99 times in his memory that was at windsor castle and uh, two minute silences were held at major sporting events including the grand national in, at aintree where uh, jockeys wore black armbands and at football matches the Duke of Cambridge withdrew from this weekend's BAFTA Awards where he'd been, uh, he was due to deliver a speech virtually and, um, and monarchs, heads of states, prime ministers across the world sent heartfelt tributes. Uh, we've had some former prime ministers of England and, and the UK who have shared their messages too. The former prime minister, Theresa May, said, all my thoughts and prayers are with Her Majesty and the whole royal family today on the loss of a devoted husband, father, grandfather and great-grandfather. The nation and the entire Commonwealth owe Prince Philip an extraordinary debt of gratitude for a distinguished life of service to the Queen, our country and so many around the world. And the former Prime Minister David Cameron said, it's desperately sad news of the passing. He showed true dedication to our country with unstinting service, stretching back to his courageous naval duty in the Second World War. He'd been a huge part of national life and since long before most of us were born. It was an honour and privilege as Prime Minister to see up close what a powerful advocate the Duke was for the causes he believed in. And of course, if you want to get in touch with tributes, perhaps you took part in the Duke of Edinburgh Award, you can get in touch. You can call me on 0208 813 8040. I am taking your calls. I am also taking your messages. 07925 700 272 is the number to message in. I have a message from Jasmine in Hayes. Good morning, Jasmine. She says, good morning, Anila. Welcome to the show. Nice to hear your voice every Sunday. It was very sad to hear about Prince Philip on Friday. He was a very good man. Great condolences to the royal family. Jasmine, thank you very much for your message this morning and paying tribute there to the late Prince Philip. 
details have been released about the funeral arrangements very much Buckingham Palace has said the funeral arrangements very much reflect Prince Philip's wishes and have been adapted in light of the coronavirus pandemic. The procession will take place behind the walls of Windsor Castle and courtiers urge the public not to travel in person but instead watch on TV and as I was saying and talking with um, Dickie Arbiter, Royal Commentator, that there will be cameras there and um, it will be televised and actually that's one of the kind of lasting legacies really as well of Prince Philip is that he was very much seen as the person pushing for the modernisation of the monarchy. He did the first royal walkabout. Uh, He was very much interested in science and technology and very much seen as being at the forefront of the modernisation of the monarchy. He uh, has asked for a, a Land Rover to take his coffin that's been organised and it's very much reminiscent of the fact that having served in the Navy and having those naval kind of disciplines that he would have organised his funeral and known what he wanted and had everything prepared and ready to go. Uh, the Sun on Sunday's headline is Harry to walk behind coffin with wills. Meg won't be at Duke funeral. Philip to go out on Land Rover. And of course, this is about uh, Harry's pregnant wife, Megan not going for medical reasons. Philip's coffin will be carried in a modified Land Rover, which the Duke helped design to its final resting place inside St George's Chapel at Windsor Castle. So those are some of the details there about the funeral. We will be talking about the Duke of Edinburgh Award and the legacy of that, because that is something that millions of people have taken part in around the world just to give you some background on his life and legacy just to give you a background on his life as a young person as a child and some insight into his character let me give you some background facts and context about him so his royal highness the prince philip duke of edinburgh was born on june the 10th 1921 uh, on the island of corfu and his father was Prince Andrew of Greece, a younger son of King George I, and his mother was Princess Alice of Battenberg, the eldest child of Prince Louis of Battenberg and sister of Earl Mountbatten of Burma. Following a coup d'etat in 1922, Prince Philip's father was banished from Greece by a revolutionary court and a British warship sent by his second cousin George V to transport the family safely to Italy. Now, Prince Philip was just a year old at the time and spent much of that voyage in a crib made from an orange box. Really, really extraordinary start to life. He had quite a turbulent childhood. He began his formal education in France, but at the age of seven, he moved to England with his Mountbatten relatives where he attended a prep school in Surrey. And in 1933, he was sent to uh, uh, southern Germany, which was run by an educational pioneer, Kurt Hahn. But within months, Hahn, who was Jewish, was forced to flee Nazi persecution. Hahn then moved to Scotland, where he founded Gordonstown School, to which the prince transferred after only two terms in Germany. And with the war... Well on the way, on the precipice, Prince Philip decided on a military career. He'd initially actually wanted to join the Royal Air Force, 
But because his mother came from a seafaring tradition, he became a cadet at the Britannia Royal Naval College in Dartmouth. And while he was a cadet, he was delegated, and this is something that Dickie Arbiter was telling us too, to escort the two young English princesses, Elizabeth and, that's of course, our now Queen Elizabeth II and her sister Margaret, while King George V and Queen Elizabeth toured the college. And according to witnesses, and this is according to reports and witnesses, that uh, Prince Philip showed off a great deal. I mean, he was very good looking, wasn't he? Very dapper, very well put together, very, very handsome man. And uh, and apparently that made a deep impression on the 13-year-old Princess Elizabeth. I mean, what a love story. Prince Philip quickly proved himself an outstanding prospect, passing out at the top of his class in January 1940 and seeing military action for the first time in the Indian Ocean. He transferred to battleship HMS Valiant in the Mediterranean Fleet, where he was mentioned in dispatches for his part in the Battle of Cape Matapan in 1941. He was actually, he, he served distinction in the Royal Navy. He served on board the destroyer HMS Wallace and it was believed that he would have become so high ranking had he not had to uh, very quickly accompany the Queen as once the Queen became Queen, Princess Elizabeth, once her father died. Throughout his time in the Navy, he, Prince Philip, had exchanged letters with Princess Elizabeth and had been invited to stay with the royal family on a number of occasions. So you can see, you can see this story, the, the love that started between them from such a young age. And it is absolutely heartbreaking to think that the Queen is now on her own after such a long time. I mean, 13, 13 to fall in love. She set her eyes on him and she knew that he was the one that she would marry. And uh, it was after one of the visits to uh, the royal family that over Christmas in 1943, that Elizabeth, very, very forward of her, placed a photograph of Philip in naval uniform on her dressing table. That's quite besotted. Uh, their relationship quickly blossomed and in 1946, Prince Philip had asked King George for Elizabeth's hand in marriage. However, before... Now, this is really interesting because before the engagement could be announced, Prince Philip needed a new nationality and family name. So he renounced his Greek title and became a British citizen and took his mother's anglicised name, Mountbatten. And it is really interesting, that fact, because if you think about everything that the monarchy represents, those British values, the pillars of society, people look up to the monarchy as above the politics and conversation and discussion of general society they are above all of that they they don't place comment they are very much in control and uphold those values that we deem as british but in actual fact you know prince philip was an immigrant and he he renounced his greek title became a british citizen and it's remarkable if you think about it that you know he upheld those british values uh, and thinking about the background and the life that he he comes from. Uh, So I I find that really fascinating. The day before the wedding took place between Prince Philip and the Queen, King George bestowed the title of his Royal Highness on Philip and on the morning of the wedding day, he was created Duke of Edinburgh. 
The wedding ceremony was held at Westminster Abbey on November the 20th, 1947, was famously described then by Winston Churchill as a flash of colour in a great post-war Britain. And following his marriage, the Duke returned to his naval career, was posted to Malta, where he and Princess Elizabeth lived the life of any other service family. Their first son, Prince Charles, was born at Buckingham Palace. Then you've got Princess Anne, Prince Andrew, Prince Edward. And uh, on September the 2nd, 1950, Prince Philip achieved the ambition of every naval officer when he was appointed to his own command. But his as I was saying before, his naval career ended quite suddenly um, with the, the death of Princess Elizabeth's father. And, uh, you know, Princess Elizabeth then had to take on more royal duties in preparation for the crown. And Prince Philip then never played an active role in the Navy. He apparently expressed regret about this in later life. And those who served with him said that he could, on the back of his own talent and merit, have risen to become first sea lord. And it's not really surprising that, because if you think about his dedication throughout his life, I mean, you can imagine that he would have become First Sea Lord because he's served, he's worked for, with so much duty, with so much service and passion for the majority of his life that it, it really isn't a surprise that he would have achieved such a ranking. Jasmine sent a lovely uh, tribute uh, of, of how he was a very good man and sending her great condolences to the royal family. And he did. He did so much for this country, serving so much in such a colourful life and background and taking you through his life uh, and just giving you a background on him where he came from, his journey, his journey to Britain, his journey through the days of being and meeting our now Queen Elizabeth and everything he's done in service of upholding those British values, serving over 800 charities and causes over his lifetime. In his work in the Commonwealth, he visited Australia over 20 times and sometimes he went without the Queen. So, you know, it just goes to show how much dedication there really was. It makes me wonder as well. I mean, it is a reflection really on my part that somebody like him really embodies that dedication and service and duty. And what to make now of the monarchy? What happens next really is the question. And you would think, wouldn't you then, that you know, Prince Charles, Prince William, they, they've all had this training. They all know that, you know, it's service to crown and country. But it's so remarkable to just reflect on those admirable values of duty to others. And so just talking you through a bit more about Prince Philip's life, he broke the news to his wife at the time that she was now queen. He was full of ideas about how best to modernise and streamline the monarchy. He was sometimes met with a lot of opposition, but it led him to launch one of the biggest triumphs of his life, and that was the Duke of Edinburgh's award. I will be speaking to some guests who have been very much active in the Duke of Edinburgh award, really involved in it, helping those people, the millions of people who worldwide have taken part in this prestigious award that is for 15 to 25 year olds 
Many have taken part in the challenge of physical, mental and emotional range of outdoor activities designed to promote teamwork, resourcefulness and a respect for nature. And we'll be finding out why that Duke of Edinburgh Award was so special to Prince Philip, why he wanted to launch that and really what it means to everyone else. I have VJ on the line. Good morning, VJ. Good morning. First, my name is VJ Gunoa. Mm-hmm. And I am a tailor in Savile Row, and, and I made uniform from Prince Philip. And uh, Princess Anne also came and visited us, and uh, we shook hand and and spoke two minutes. Mm. Princess Anne, I have a picture I have sent you on a WhatsApp. Oh, amazing. and this is experience I have. We used to make uniform for the royal family, and. Uh, well, my my deepest sympathy and condolences to to all who has been affected. We have lost the the Royal Highness Duke of Edinburgh, and uh, that's all I can say. And I have this kind of experience. I I was walking in Savile Row, and we are Savile Row tailors. BJ, absolutely extraordinary story. Thank you so much for calling in. I mean, how do you become a tailor for Prince well, Philip? Well, I. I was a tailor in back home from Mauritius, mm. and I come here to work as a skilled worker. So then we used to we used to learn tailoring in a workshop in a uh, in a in a shop in a corner you, shop. You you must so, have been very good for Prince yes, Philip to have wanted yes. his military uniform to have been made by you. Yes, all the gallant, all the medal, all the all this. Stuff in in the in the uniform. It's so gold. A lot of gold stuff involved in those uniform. Wow. And I become a tailor. And and here when I apply, mm. then uh, they told me since two years they have never found a tailor. So I was I was selected, and I become uh, an employee for for this company called Gaze and Hawks. So I work there. Wow. And I made uniform for many royal family all around the world, not only for British royal family, uh, kings, kings of Jordan wow. and of King Hussein, a lot of, lot of Sultan of Brunei. What a fantastic career you've had. I mean, yes. when you're making garments like that, very important military garments, you can't get it wrong, can you? No, you have to be perfect. And yeah. there, that is a, that is, the master tailor will check every five minutes if you are going wrong or right. Wow, wow. <laughs> and you, you have to make it perfect. Uh, every stitch by hand, milady. Incredible. And and when you've spoken to Prince Philip, do you remember any stories or anything that he said to you? One thing uh, I, I, I know, his sleeve got creased. No, mm-hmm. Normally, the, the, the uniform in a, in a sleeve, don't, don't, we don't put uh, Chris, you have to press by iron and make it Chris mm. <laughs> on the front. That was funny. I didn't ask him, but I I, I spoke to Princess Anne. Uh, Princess Anne came yeah. and visit our our company where I workshop. I have sent you the 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 WhatsApp. You can check it out. We will. And I, and- I, sh- I shook hand with Princess Anne. Mm. And she spoke to me. She asked me, "How long have you been doing this?" 
I stay all my life about uh, nearly twenty five years, and I, she said, "Do you don't get fed up?" And I say, <laughs> "I I love my job, mom, and oh. I have you have to say, mom, yes. not ma'am." Yeah. So we have learned how to uh, greet the royal family in our workplace. How fantastic. VJ. it's been so brilliant speaking to you. And we will uh, communicate with you on WhatsApp. Thank you for listening. It would be amazing to be able to share your picture that you've shared with us on uh, social media so other people can, who are listening right now can also yes, see that. You will, so. see, you will see my tape measure is hanging on my neck. Oh, fantastic. And Princess Anne is on her side is talking to me. Oh, absolutely brilliant. VJ. it's... And I am your regular listener. Thank you. And it's been brilliant speaking to you. Thank you so much for calling in this All morning. the best. My deepest sympathy and condolence to all who has been affected. We all have lost a, a prince. Thank you, Vijay. Wow. What a story. Wow. If you have any stories that you can share like that, what a fantastic career. What... Wow, very, very special. I loved, absolutely loved that. You can call me 0208-813-8040 and also message in 07925-700-272. Clearly, clearly Prince Philip touched the lives of so many from those working as tailors in Savile Row to to people worldwide. And talking of that worldwide now, we're going to talk about the Duke of Edinburgh Award. It's one of his biggest legacies and I'm joined now by the Duke of Edinburgh International Secretary General John May and Deputy Lieutenant for Oxfordshire and businessman and former Duke of Edinburgh trustee Ashok Robru, CVO DL, also a Deputy Lieutenant and who has been awarded a Victoria Cross. Good morning to you both. Hi Anila. Hi Amila. Fantastic to be joined by you both. You've both worked with Prince Philip on the Duke of Edinburgh Award. A shock, just for those of our listeners who don't quite know exactly what it is, will you just explain what the award is? The award is a uh, non-formal education and and learning framework for the young people. And uh, it helps young people to develop skills, get active, give service and experience adventure and assist with development outside the classroom. Uh, the award also helps young people develop skills that employers want, resilience, communication, problem solving, and leadership. And it also encourages young people to volunteer in the community. Mm-hmm. And it's a great, great assistance to youngsters from the age of 2014 to 24 in their migration into today's world. I think that sums it up quite well, unless John has anything else to add. I mean, John, you work on the international side, don't you? I mean, what does that consist of? Does it differ in any way? And talking of that international side too, of course, Prince Philip had so many connections around the world and particularly through the Commonwealth as well. He was very much a global figure. He was, you're right. And uh, at the moment, I guess we're we're still dealing with uh, with processing some of the news from from Friday. Um, but he's left he's left an extraordinary legacy, Anila. the The award exists in more than one hundred and thirty countries around the world. Uh, there are more than a million young people at any one time who are who are doing their award. And as Ashok said, uh, it's 
it's really a, a very simple way of describing what young people should do outside the classroom. <laughs> Academic education is important, of course, mm. um, but but getting those skills and behaviours and attitudes and values that employers so want can't always be learnt in the classroom and so by by giving service to the community by taking part in in uh, physical activity like sport um by uh, uh learning new skills and by and by learning a bit about leadership through adventure we think that young people all over the world can develop exactly the sorts of skills that they need to be successful citizens and employers need uh, uh, in in their next generation of employees. Um, we, I, I mentioned 130 countries, and, yes. and those include India, Nepal, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka. Uh, so, uh, in terms of uh, of the subcontinent and 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 the Asian community, His Royal Highness's legacy is is just firmly embedded within that particular part of the world. Absolutely, and I mean, listening to you speak and hearing about the award, it very much symbolises what Prince Philip stood for in terms of service. Very pioneering, you know, not just focusing on education within a classroom, but looking above and beyond. And he was very much seen as being at the forefront of uh, the modernisation of the monarchy. Uh, Why did he set up these Duke of Edinburgh Awards? What drove him and what was the story behind it? Well, the story really goes back to his own experiences as a boy at Gordonston School in Scotland. He had a an extraordinarily influential headmaster who was a guy called Kurt Hahn. And, and Hahn was a, a, a Jewish refugee from uh, Nazi Germany mm. um, who set up a, a school originally in Germany and had to leave very, very quickly, uh, set it up again in, 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 um, in Scotland, but had a view that what goes on in the classroom is only half the story. And I think that's something that will probably chime with, uh, with a lot of people. Um, when uh, His Royal Highness became uh, 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 the uh, the Duke of Edinburgh and the more importantly the husband of Her Majesty the Queen, mm. he realised that uh, he was going to spend the rest of his life three steps behind or two steps sideways of mm. uh, the monarch, and so there was. He 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 was searching for something to do that would uh, that would give a, a purpose. And what he struck up with uh, as an idea with uh, with 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 Kurt Hahn and also with John Hunt, uh, who had been part of planning the uh, the successful climb of Everest by uh, by by Sherpa Tensing and uh, and Edmund Hillary, was this this clever educational framework that just describes exactly what young people need and what's extraordinary is that it hasn't really changed at all in what it expects of young people in 65 years it's as relevant today as it was when when the duke of edinburgh created it and and i suppose that moves us forward into what will become of it now do you think it will be a lasting legacy a uh, short sure, uh, i'll put this to you i mean how will it be continued and carried on anila i uh, sum it up this way how one man's vision 
has inspired millions across the world. And uh, the positive effect of the award will continue to have on the lives of countless and more young people and their communities globally will endure for decades to come. And that's the best way I can express it. John, I want to come to you because you've obviously worked with Prince Philip. What was he like and what was he like to work with? Well, I think Ashok can probably talk with uh, much more uh, knowledge than I about working with the Duke because I I think Ashok probably of everybody that I know involved with the award has known the Duke the longest apart from Prince Edward. Um, my own experience is that uh, the Duke was somebody who was always interested in the work of young people. There are lots of charities, of course, of which he was he was patron yes. and, uh, and, and involved. But mm. I suspect very little direct engagement in the way that he had with us he was he was genuinely for the time that he was the the chairman up to uh, the the beginning of the of this new millennium he was a really active chair um and uh, he he'd come to meetings and queue up alongside everybody for lunch and <sighs> just just really wanted to get right into the 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 depth of the charity and the work that it does mm. uh and and i think was was greatly respected for doing so um in terms of in in terms of of, of spending time with me mm. and he, he what I found was that he was the most wonderful provider of advice. Oh. Um, he, he never contradicted me. He never interfered with the work of the charity. But if I needed to know anything of the background or the history of what had gone on, as I was dealing with often quite interesting diplomatic issues, yes, yeah, I could go to him and say, what about this country? And he'd go, ah, John, my boy. This is what you need to think about there, uh, and and he was he was just the most the most wonderful confidant and advisor. Oh, fantastic! He sounds it, it really sounds like, and everything you've said that he really carved that role for himself and really you know grabbed it with both hands in in really you know getting down and doing the work. I mean, a shock. John's really set this up here for for the fact that you have known him the longest and have had a lot of interaction what are your memories i have known prince philip uh, since mid 90s and uh, my one of my i got many wonderful experiences but i in the interest of time uh, when i was appointed a trustee at his request and its approval in 2000 mm. Uh, it was amazing how humble and I was. I was frankly petrified of attending my first trustee meeting. Yeah, and he came out and uh, shook hands with me and made sure I sat next to him uh, in the trustees' board meeting where he was the chairman. Wow! How and did that? How did that make you feel? It was frankly at that time I did not. It did not hundred percent dawn on me the significance of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, only a few years later, uh, in those days, there was no Google and all that, and uh, it was very special. I was perhaps the first ethnic trustee for the UK side of the Copenhagen Award. Mm-hmm. I felt a heavy responsibility, but 
Prince Philip sort of eased me into this meeting, make sure I sit next to him. But I had no way of Googling as to what a trustee does. Mm-hmm. And I thought you just go in there and, uh, you know, at a fortune moment, say a few words and generally go with the floor. Mm-hmm. And I was shaken how detailed the patron, Justin Philip, was about the paperwork. Wow. And I was petrified that I had not read all the papers mm-hmm. to the same detail. Yeah. And it was a solitary lesson for me and it has helped me for the rest of my business career. And he had a unique ability to also in a trustees meeting or any meeting to be able to figure out that one of the attendees is slightly drifting or is he, uh, hasn't got the airtime. And he would suddenly turn around and say, what do you think, Mr. Ribeiro? And I learned a lot mm-hmm. uh, from him over the years how to be detailed, how to be very, very prepared, how to be realistic about what you want to do. And it's been an amazing, amazing experience working with him uh, and learning from him, to be honest. Incredible. And it's always one of those things where you go to ask, you know, what's your one memory that really stands out but actually in what you've said it sounds like he's touched your life throughout and it was such an impact that he had right from the very beginning that you've actually carried that forward because you're an extremely successful businessman with you know your businesses are in in countries around the world uh and it it sounds like he's touched every aspect and much of that legacy that he's had on your life will be carried through the Duke of Edinburgh Award as well, wouldn't it? Yes, he said. Also, what is amazing is uh, he always remembered my company name and he always also, um, my triplets were born at a later age in 1998. Mm. And despite such a senior person meeting thousands of people in his travel, he would always remember my company name and that I triplets and always ask uh, about them whenever I met him. Sometimes in reception, sometimes in events. And he would, if he was passing by, he would stop and say and ask about all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was also very practical. Uh, he fully grasped for people to support the charities. He fully grasped that uh, successful businesses make money. Successful charities bleed money, they need more money. And how to encourage people to continue to support. And he was very practical and say those supporters who come to events should network among themselves, get some kind of a, not uh, understanding with each other. And if their understanding was there, they are more likely to continue to support in subsequent years beyond the philanthropic reason. Mm-hmm. And it was quite unique and quite insightful of him to be able to do that. And hence the longevity of Duke of Edinburgh's award. Mm. Um, a lot has to do with um, his attention to details and his ability to be more realistic and practical. So I, in 2005, um, I was leading with a dear friend of mine, David Hempelman Adam, um, the 50th anniversary of Duke of Edinburgh's award in UK. Mm. And we would go into 
brief him in his uh, private study. And he, uh, despite all of this was frankly new experience for me for such a senior person and chairman, yes. he, had, he could grasp the details from Excel spreadsheets. Uh, and he would come up with some observations. And they were always very helpful and insightful. This amazing, amazing ability. And there's so much for me to learn all the time. And uh, the interfaces with him has helped me personally, mm. has helped me in my business. And some of what I've learned has have adopted in my business practices with my directors as well. Uh, this is the impact on me. Imagine the impact on the youth internationally. Um, Absolutely remarkable. Really, really fascinating to hear how Prince Philip has touched your life and John's life. Really, really thank you to both of you for joining us this morning. And I can imagine it's been really insightful for our listeners to understand the Duke of Edinburgh's personality and and those nuances through your personal experiences with him. So thank you both very much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Anila. Lovely to be with you. Thank you, Anila. My best wishes to all your listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. What remarkable stories. I mean, touching lives like that, not only through the Duke of Edinburgh Award, but actually the people working around it. What a, That really shows true leadership, doesn't it? That, you know, you can galvanise your team and not only ensure that they're carrying out that work with, you know, as Shork was explaining there, that attention to detail, but making sure that they're the team who are carrying out the work that you're so passionate about are also as passionate as you and as inspired. And, you know, as Shork there described the Duke of Edinburgh as practical, humble, dedicated. Uh, And John explained there about the advice, both talking about the advice he clearly so humbly gave. Absolutely incredible. I've had a message from Sheila from Preston and Jasmine from Hayes who say that they found the story by the caller, this is Vijay, who made the suit for Prince Philip very sweet and moving. What a remarkable story that was. I loved how it was a story about how you'd come from Mauritius. You worked as a tailor here for Prince Philip. And it's incredible, isn't it, when you think, I mean... I was telling you lots about Prince Philip's life when he, his early life and how he travelled around the world, went to school in Scotland and then, you know, denounced his name and changed it in order to marry Queen Elizabeth. Those journeys, how journeys collide from all walks of life, from all parts of the world. You've got Vijay from Mauritius here in London working for Prince Philip and the royal family who have a huge legacy and life also from around the world. Absolutely remarkable. And we were hearing about the Duke of Edinburgh Award, which is seen as one of Prince Philip's biggest achievements in his life, other than, of course, serving Queen and country and Queen his wife, who is now newly widowed, and of course, uh, our condolences and respects to her and the royal family. We're going to speak a bit more now about the Duke of Edinburgh Award, and I'm joined by entrepreneur, philanthropist, Michael Tobin, OBE, who has worked with Prince Philip on the Duke of Edinburgh Award. Morning, Michael. Good morning, Anila. It's great speaking to you. Thanks for joining us this morning. So, You've met Prince Philip in relation to these awards. What 
do you recount him being like when you've met him? <laughs> well, he's he's quite a character, actually. <laughs> um, he's a real no-nonsense guy, and and you know, we, we've I guess we've heard this morning of some of the sort of the kinder sides, but he he can be quite sharp as well, and he had a an incredible sense of humour. Um, I know there's sort of stories about him perhaps saying things that he shouldn't have said in some of his tours, but I put it down to the fact that he's he's always trying to to be witty. And um, occasionally that gets taken out of context. But he was he was really funny, a really funny guy. And what did it mean to you to work with him on these awards? Well, so so he obviously he started the Duke of Edinburgh Awards back in the in the fifties, um, and and that in itself was quite quite inspirational because you know he wanted to to create um, a, a, a process that, that helped kids um, in in a period because back in the day after the war, you know, kids left school at fifteen. Mm. And and they would and 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 they were going into national service at eighteen. But in that period of sort of three years in between, he wanted to make sure that that, that young people used that time to to sort of build essential life skills, right? And 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 to get experience and confidence and resilience, mm. to sort of to, to navigate adult life. And mm. so that that visionary sort of approach that that he took in the fifties has you know has got a great legacy today. And, um, you know, there's, well, just before COVID, um, 2019, there was over 150,000 awards, DAV awards given out in, in over 130 countries around the world now. So it's a fantastic legacy. Mm, absolutely amazing. And of course, you know, as you say, so many people have taken part in it. What do you think will be the legacy moving forward now that the you might say the leader or the pillar of the awards is no longer with us well i, I think you know it's, it's such a big it's a, it's almost a franchise now right i mean it's franchised out to schools it's franchised out to to sort of um you know young young people's clubs so that everybody has 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 the opportunity now in the uk especially but around the world have the opportunity to take part in these events and I think that it's it's grown beyond the individual anyway now, and it, and it's and, and obviously his his son Edward has taken over the, the the sort of the patronage of of the charity itself. But I think it's 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 got a life of its own now, and, and um, sadly his passing, um, you know, has has had 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 to have happened at some point. But the the charity um, charity will live on. I mean, it, it just had its um, diamond anniversary in two thousand and sixteen. Wow. And the interesting thing there was it, it, it tried to evolve because it's it's been open to to, to young people all you know throughout the life of the charity. But in 2016, they did something special, and they said, at any age, whatever you, whatever age you are, you can take part in a special diamond Duke of Edinburgh Award. Um, and and the concept was simply that you just had to do something that that pushed your own boundaries, whatever your own boundaries were. Right. So you know, it's the kind of it's the sort of Captain Tom sort of spirit mm, in a way right yes like, yeah a hundred laps of the garden is a fantastic achievement and you know it, it, it's everyone did something that, that they felt that they had to push themselves to do and that then was rewarded by a duke and Vedderburgh diamond award and of course it's all to raise um, money for charity as well mm. and actually you know talking of pushing those boundaries i know that you have personally pushed so many boundaries to raise money for charity and raise awareness for really uh, wonderful charities and causes. Would you say that being part of the Duke of Edinburgh Award and Prince Philip and his kind of characteristics have touched you or inspired you to have 
taken part in those challenges that you've taken part in? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think um, for me, the most important sort of attribute that that one can have is is resilience, and um, and that's been sort of born through in during these difficult times of COVID as well. But mm. yeah, as, as a kid, uh, I, I went through tough times uh, in Africa, getting petrol bombed and shot at during the uh, civil war in Zimbabwe, and and Gosh. you know living in squats in London um, when I returned. Yeah, so you have to be resilient. It's not about you know the, the the kind of the challenges that you face. It's about getting through them and getting to the you know getting to the other side. And I think Prince Philip, you know, epitomised that. And you know his his approach to trying to instil that into um, youth um, was 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 embodied by the Duke of Edinburgh Awards. But it was also just in his his psyche. He was a he was, he was a military man, right? And, and mm. he was. He was somebody that was able to see the end of something, despite or regardless how, how challenging the time was. And, and that obviously helped the, the royal family in many, many occasions where they were going through challenges during you know, the, the period of, of the, the death of Diana and, mm-hmm. and, and this recent time with the um, Harry and Meghan situation. Yes. You, know, you need a rock there that, that says, you know, we get through this. Um, and I think you know, he, was, he was that rock. And, and I, I do hope that... Um, in, enough of that sort of aura is still around the royal family because, you know, it's not going to be the end of the, the rocky times and uh, there'll be more to come, I'm sure. Michael, amazing to speak to you. Thank you so much. Really, really inspiring speaking to you this morning. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. And as Michael touched on there, you know, Prince Philip did have that very much. Just get on with it. How do you get through something you just get on with it. He very much had that line of thinking that I think Michael Tobin, OBE there, uh, very much expressed, really helping build a picture of what Prince Philip was like as a man personally and to work with. We have been marking the life death and of course legacy of His Royal Highness Prince Philip the Duke of Edinburgh who passed away on Friday at the age of 99 with Buckingham Palace releasing a statement saying he died peacefully at Windsor Castle and it's left a family in mourning. Prince Charles the Duke of Edinburgh's oldest son reflected on his father's devotion to family and country and Leaders from around the world and people from across the UK and around the world have been paying tribute, many laying flowers outside Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle to pay their respects. And we've been listening to people and their stories throughout the programme today about Prince Philip and building up a picture for you of what he was like, his years as a child, his growing up and meeting the Queen and that absolutely, you know, fascinating, beautiful love story between them. And then those who worked and knew him and were touched by him through the Duke of Edinburgh Award, which is seen as one of his biggest legacies. He worked till the age of 93. I mean, if that's not inspiring, I don't know what is. Absolutely remarkable. And we heard from John May, who uh, is General Secretary of the Duke of Edinburgh Award internationally, about how one man's vision has inspired so many. And we spoke to a former Duke of Edinburgh 
trustee Ashok Rabharu, CVODL. He was the first ethnic trustee in the UK for the Duke of Edinburgh Award and he detailed how Prince Philip was so detailed when it came to his work. I suppose it just shows how passionate he was and... You know, they talked about how he was practical, humble. Both John and Ashok talked about how he had touched their lives through so much advice and really reverberated in Ashok's life through his affairs in his business and his personal life and how he then went on to engage with others uh, all through being a trustee for the Duke of Edinburgh Award and sitting next to Prince Philip and shaking hands with him and receiving advice from him. We were talking to Michael Tobin, OBE, who also worked with Prince Philip on the Duke of Edinburgh Award and he described Prince Philip as a no-nonsense kind of character, sharp with humour and wit, a visionary and... Again, it it really shows, you know, how determined he was in touching the lives and really carving out a role for himself because many people have been speaking about how he had to take a side role. Of course, you know, he described his own role as being upholder and supporter of the Queen. That's what he saw his role as. But he very much carved a role for himself and especially through those Duke of Edinburgh Awards. I want to recall a story which I think really perfectly sums up Prince Philip. It's a story shared by author Paul Brandis. On the weekend of President J.F. Kennedy's assassination, Prince Philip flew to Washington for the funeral. At the White House on Sunday, November the 24th, 1963, Jackie Kennedy was looking for John Jr. and opened the door to his playroom. There, she found the prince sprawled on the floor, playing and laughing with the late president's son. When John Jr., days from his third birthday, asked, where's daddy? The Duke is said to have stepped in to comfort the youngster. And uh, John Jr. had said he didn't have anyone to play with and Her Majesty's husband decided that he would entertain the boy. And that wasn't the end of the Pierce special bond because then Paul Brander shared an incredible picture taken two years later when John Jr. was seen holding hands with his mother, Jackie Kennedy, and Prince Philip. And I think that really summarises and encapsulates his love for children, love for young people and... It not just being an award set up and a cause in his name, but actually that Duke of Edinburgh Award really reflecting his values as a person. Of course, his funeral is taking place on Saturday, 3pm, where there'll be a national minute silence. It's taking place at St George's Chapel in Windsor Castle. Today, we have been marking the life and legacy of His Royal Highness Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, who passed away on Friday at the age of 99. For now, from me, the Anila Dami on Sunday team, show producer Serena, studio manager Ranjit and everyone at Sunrise Radio, we pay our respects and condolences to the Royal Family on the passing of His Royal Highness Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, who has died at the age of 99. Thank you for joining us for our special programme. Tune in every Sunday, 10am to 12 noon, for Anila Dami on Sunday, giving the British Asian community a voice on the matters of the day.